It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. There are so many directions that I'm excited to take this podcast today with Allison uh, because I found her through TikTok. And any of our regular listeners know that I'm really into TikTok <laughs> as both a consumer and a creator. And I really think that Allison may be my favorite person on the platform right now because every video that she makes, I get so excited to watch. Like I want to watch it in its entirety. I want to know what she's got to say because I feel so comforted by her authenticity and true authenticity. I think the word authenticity gets thrown around a lot these days and it's kind of losing its meaning. Perhaps we either need to take back its meaning or find a different word, maybe both. But Allison, I'm so excited to have you on here and thank you for taking the time. And it's like a little overwhelming because I feel like there's so many things I can't wait to dive in with you. I I guess what I'll start with is something I was going to tell you offline, but figured I might as well include it in the podcast. We were talking about tea before we started recording today, which brought us to Jason and my friend Adam Yasmin, who has been a guest on the podcast. And he has a big focus right now on digital well-being. And I know that all three of us recording right now, and maybe some of the listeners are on Clubhouse. And Adam has been doing some of my favorite Clubhouse rooms because he's bringing something, as you pointed out in one of your TikToks, Allison, something refreshing to Clubhouse. Because what we will often see on platforms like Clubhouse and sometimes TikTok and, and a lot of different social media platforms is like focus on perfectionism, focus on fear of missing out, FOMO, focus on hustling. And I think one of the many things that the three of us have in common is the desire to be more tuned into ourselves and less focused on all of these external messages and the pressure. And I think that's going to be the big theme of the show, but we never really know where things are going to go. I just want to let you, Allison, know and, and the listeners that might be on Clubhouse or considering Clubhouse know that there is a community within this platform of people talking about digital well-being and, and true well-being, not like some buzzword, like really examining our relationships with technology. And I know, Allison, that you, like Jason and I, uh, recently watched the documentary Fake Famous, which has been getting us to think a lot. Of course, there's also the documentary, The Social Dilemma. And there's a lot coming out slowly but surely. But I suppose one thing that's a great place to start with us today, Allison, is to hear your perspective on, do you think things are getting better or worse? Or maybe they're just kind of another version of the same thing when it comes to social media and, and its usage in the marketing world? Like, do you think that these documentaries and, and books and articles that are coming out really opening our eyes to the role that these platforms are taking in our lives? Like, are they helping us or are they just giving us information but not really doing anything? How are you feeling about all that with your observations? Well, first of all, thank you so much for all the nice words you said about my TikTok because 
that's a platform that kind of liberated me in the social media space because it just got me to think completely differently about the way I create content. And so the fact that I'm just showing up as myself completely, like very raw, and it's being received by somebody that I really get along with, like would be friends with, you know, is awesome. So thank you so much to kind of talk about, you know, the, what did we say, digital well-being and fake famous and if it's helping or hurting us. I think to some degree, there's always going to be that level of inauthenticity. There's because I think that's the nature of how social media, what social media, you know, was created for, even though it was created to share with each other, somehow we all turned it into this big monster. And to some degree, that will always be there, I think. But what I do think is that by having things like the social dilemma or fake famous, we've been able to kind of put into words like things that we've already known based on being in this industry. I, when I saw social dilemma, I already knew this was all going on. And my husband and I were like, okay, but now that it's all spelled out right in front of our faces, like enough is enough. And I think for me, it was another kind of liberation where I'm like, now I got to talk about this because if I'm feeling this way and all these other people are feeling this way, we need to talk about it. We need to like air this shit out because I'm just getting to the point where I can't do it anymore. And I, I think a lot of us have suffered from, you know, comparison and anxiety and just a kind of a hit on our mental health because of all of the factors that go into trying to keep up. And so I just started showing up like, and saying things that I was feeling and not knowing how big of a response I would get from other people that felt the same way. And now I think that it's these kinds of documentaries are going to start empowering us, the people that really feel this way and want to kind of lead the charge or be the catalyst in this new shift in realness and real authenticity, like you were saying, because I totally agree. We've kind of taken that word and made it inauthentic. I just think that now is the time where things are going to really start to shift. I think people are fed up as fuck. Jason is one of them, (laughs) I think. I'm in a very strange place with all of it. And I say strange because I feel like there's a lot of different ways of looking at this. There's looking at it in the sense that the social media companies, a la Facebook, who owns Instagram, there's Google, there's, I mean, we can name all of them that are are sort of undergoing this level of scrutiny. When we talk about me being fed up, part of it is because on the one hand, it's looking at it like, well, we should impose more controls and more regulations on Facebook, Google et al. because they're using AI and they're using tech to manipulate our psychology. But then on the other hand, there's, well, we can't really blame them fully because they're highlighting and making glaring magnifications as to what's already going on in human psychology, which is social hierarchy, which is survival of the fittest, which is lack consciousness, which is I need to steamroll everyone and get the highest numbers and highest engagement, be the most popular, be the most influential. I mean, that's not a new conversation. That's been going on in human society since the beginning of time, hierarchy and dominance. But they they are sort of magnifying it and taking advantage of what's already in our latent human psychology. 
the lust for power, the lust for importance, all those things. So that's part of the conversation. The other part of the conversation is looking at, you know, digital minimalism. There's guys like Cal Newport talking about just unplug from all of it, you know, or guests that we've had like Paul Jarvis and Corbett Barr who have literally, well, Paul is back on Twitter, but they've taken long extended breaks by removing themselves from the social conversation completely. So where I'm at is, okay, I know that as a tool for business and for communication and connection, it is useful. But to your point, Allison, with the comparison trap and the mental health thing, I know that if I track my history with social media and I go all the way back to say MySpace in, God, I don't, whatever, 2003, 2004, and I look at the corollary between how much I've been involved with social media and the mental health struggles that I've had in my life, it's not that social media is the causality, but there's absolutely in my mind a correlation between how much I use social media, how many platforms I'm on, the pressure to keep up, and the depression, suicidal ideation, and anxiety that I've felt over the years. Because prior to social media, if I look at my health history, my mental health history, would I get depressed? Sure. Would I have bad days? Yeah. But honestly, since the rise of social the past 16, 17 years, it has been a lot worse. And I know that for me, it's absolutely been a contributing factor. So I guess, you know, the question is like, what, you know, what do we do, right? Do we impose more regulations? Do we take more responsibility for our own level of comparison and not enoughness and our own mental health issues? Is it all really, I mean, I'm at a point where I'm not really quite sure how to move forward with all of it, you know? I can t completely understand. I think that, I don't know what, what more regulations would do because I think people are really addicted to these platforms. And so they don't want to have anything stripped away, but we're definitely at a point where we need to establish some sort of like healthy relationship because I am noticing a lot of things. Like now that my TikTok has had a lot more views, I find myself addicted to this stupid platform because like, I'm just refreshing the page and it's like notification, notification. I'm like, what is, why am I sitting here? Like watching this happen? Like, this is kind of, I'm totally addicted. And I am finding myself being pulled from things that I actually want to be doing in my life. And now I'm centered around like, like the, for the, for the beginning of the time that I was on TikTok and I started having success, I went through this kind of like, whoa, I shot up. And now I'm kind of addicted to this idea of getting views because I feel like I need to provide something for somebody. Like I've attracted a lot of people and now I feel like I need to keep up with the content or, you know, I'm now tailoring my content based on what I think people are going to respond to when what got me there in the first place was just enjoying myself and having fun and, you know, loving what I'm doing. So after I took a complete hiatus for like three months, <laughs> because I was also going through a bunch of shit in my real life, like we were in the middle of a pandemic, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. There was a lot of heaviness. Um, I was also grappling with living in a primarily white town being like the token minority. And in the height of Black Lives Matter, I felt really alone as well. And then my grandmother died and she was like the matriarch of our family. So I had all this actual shit going on in my life. And yet I was so worried about what was going on on social media. And I just shut down. It wasn't even like I took a break 
like on my own, like, yeah, I'm going to take a break and I'm leaving. I just stopped showing up. Like people were sending me birthday, you know, messages on Facebook. And I'm like, I can't even respond to you for two weeks. And I think that it helped me realize, especially going through the process of understanding what it's like to go viral and have an audience now that nothing matters in my own life other than like myself, what my priorities, what I'm doing to take care of myself and how I want to show up in the world. And so now I've started to develop a much healthier relationship based on just my own journey, because I need to preserve my own joy, I need to preserve my own creativity. It's how I, you know, it's how I show up in the world. It's how I express myself and, and find joy is creating and sharing messages that I think could inspire people or not literally everything I create now is for myself. Like it's mostly messages that I'm saying to myself, like three months ago, And just by being myself, it's attracting a lot of people that feel the same way. And so I think that mind shift was really important for me to go through that kind of, wow, I'm I'm completely shut off. And now my creativity, there's like an off and on switch and it is fully off. I don't even know where the like outlet is. I can't even like turn the breaker on, like it's gone for right now. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think that being able to somehow get back to yourself. Like in these times when we're so caught up on social media, especially for businesses, figuring out a way to do it in a way that gives you joy is like my best piece of advice probably because if you get caught up in the analytics and trying to make other people happy or trying to do something that will go viral, you're going to burn out. I feel like this is something both of us can relate to, but Jason has certainly expressed that he is is kind of at that crossroads. And I've encouraged him a lot to use TikTok for that reason, but also for the reason that it feels like the other social media platforms are losing a lot of relevance. And I'm really interested to see if that actually happens, because I think when you're in TikTok, that's like the platform, you know, and it's like TikTokers are kind of anti-Facebook and Instagram. I think because it it does have a level right now, and we don't know how long it's going to last, of course, but right now, as in early 2021 and from and, and previously, it's had a level of authenticity, like in the real authenticity, right? And I really, I need to find some more synonyms for that because <laughs> that word can just feel like nothingness these days, simply because, unfortunately, platforms like Instagram have kind of capitalized on authenticity. It's We have a lot of influencers who figured out, as you're saying, Allison, that authenticity sells. So now it's like manufactured authenticity. It's people that have said, ooh, like people, just like you're expressing, I mean, people might listen uh, right now and think, I just need to be more authentic, but maybe deep down they're doing it as a way to get more followers and more likes, right? So it's interesting to see like the directions that we're going in. Of course, we've seen Instagram try to be more like TikTok, (laughs) Right. And it's not really working so well. But I think they're doing that because they're noticing this. And it's really also interesting to me to see people that have spent most of their time on other social media platforms, YouTube included, try to come over to TikTok and feel completely unsure how to how to proceed. They're often trying to, and myself included, right? I'm not, I'm not excluded from this because I spend so much time on Instagram and YouTube and all these other platforms. So when I came over to TikTok, I was like, 
not really sure what to do. And, and I'm so used to curating things and spending a lot of time on things. And one piece of advice that I found a lot of creators saying is like, it's often the videos that you spend the less time on, the least amount of time on, on TikTok that do well. And the videos that you spend hours and hours on, if you're going to put that much work into something, those generally don't do as well. Every once in a while, they will, depending on the content. But TikTok kind of plays around with your emotions (laughs) in a lot of ways. But I think in a way, it's very good for us because it's encouraging us, as you're saying, to just not give a fuck as much as we have. And I think that's the reason why TikTokers tend to not like platforms like Facebook and Instagram, which are so much about curating. It's so much about, let me take the perfect photo, just like we saw in Fake Famous. I mean, I think that's the reason that it's irritated the three of us and probably some of our listeners as well is like seeing people spend all this time and money getting ready for a photo that they're going to post on Instagram and then having to do it all over again. Like there's a moment in there where they, where I, I, it might've been the, the girl in, in the, that was featured in it. And I don't remember her name, but she was saying like, we're going to spend all this time and work. We have a photographer, we have a set that we paid for, we have clothing and makeup and lighting and on and on and on. And these photos only last a certain amount of time, then we have to do it all over again. And then we saw that, I mean, for those that haven't seen the documentary, we're not spoiling anything. This movie is kind of hard to spoil because it's just all like facts and an observation of influencer culture. But when they go on that road trip, (laughs) the, the photo shoot road trip, and it's just like all these girls piled into a van with their luggage and then doing their makeup on there like it's an episode of America's Next Top Model <laughs> getting out and take all taking photos in the same location and posing. And then remember, there's that moment where the girls aren't even satisfied with these photos. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like you spent all this time and money and you're taking photos that that took so much effort and yet you're still not satisfied with it. And that to me is where it gets so irritating. And my big going back to my original point with with TikTok, there are certainly people that do that on TikTok, you know, and myself included. Sometimes I, I take an hour or so to make a video. I enjoy it though. Maybe that's the big difference is is I really enjoy the process of like filming something because I have a film background and it's like that's the way my brain has worked for most of my life. And TikTok is a nice outlet. But it's the lack of attachment I'm working on in terms of the results. To your point, Allison, it's like I can create for myself and maybe it'll impact other people. Whereas Instagram feels like you're primarily creating for other people. And Facebook, it's hard to say. Like I I don't even know what Facebook really is anymore besides like Facebook groups and ads. (laughs) It's like and happy birthday messages, right? Like, but you've got the in a way, Facebook is kind of going back to its root of connecting people personally, because very few people seem to be interested in creating on there anymore. But then you have the opposite side where people just use Facebook to run ads to each other. And it's like, and the algorithm is so skewed. Most people I know are just like giving up on trying to do anything on there aside from their personal usage. So I'm kind of curious, Allison, all of that summarized, like, do you feel like Instagram and Facebook are going to go away? Are they always going to be lingering there? Do you think that TikTok is the the platform of the future? Would you advise someone like Jason who's kind of fed up with all of this? Like he's I keep telling him to or encouraging him, I should say, to to get on the platform. 
but he seems resistant to it. So now I'm curious about your perspective of it, Allison. And do you think it's worthwhile for someone who's actually feeling quite burnt out by social media? I mean, you and I are just such huge TikTok stands that <laughs> I tell anybody to get on TikTok. I've had like five friends in the last week get say, fine, I'm on TikTok now because I just want to see your videos. Like I'll keep sending them links of my videos. They're like, okay, I got a TikTok. But really, I think TikTok is awesome because again, I told you it liberated me like during quarantine and the way that I kind of create content now because you're seeing people come through your FYP, which is like your feed on Instagram. And there's so much creativity on this app. Like somebody who just lives at their mom's house and had an idea, decided to make a video. It took them, you know, however long, and it's the funniest thing you've ever seen, or it's really insightful. And I think that's one of the cool things about the platform that is turning like, you know, we're trying to still preserve this kind of honeymoon phase because we do see it turning where people are just trying to go viral. They, a lot of people that maybe in the influencer world notice like, well, I can't get as viral on, you know, Instagram anymore. Now I want to be on TikTok because I have access to going viral again. With that though, you also have the people that are doing stuff for fun and they're really inspiring people just by being who they are. I mean, that random, I think his name's Dogface, who was skateboarding and drinking Ocean Spray Cranberry and <laughs> to Dreams by Fleetwood Mac and that blew up and it's changed his entire life. But I think where I really enjoy the app is that I've been able to make real connection, kind of like in the early Instagram days where you're actually making internet friends with people who you feel very aligned with in your life. Like people that just kind of, you feel like get you in a way. I almost feel more supported by these strangers on the internet on TikTok than I do in my direct network on Instagram. And that was something that I was thinking about when we were talking about kind of manufacturing your content for Instagram. I never really fit in on that platform. I had a lot of growth in the beginning because I am a business owner. And so I was, I've always been fascinated by social media in general. But as I started to kind of grow and get into like pods, which was hacking the algorithm, and I hated pods. Um, For anybody that doesn't know, that's when a lot of influencers would get in the DMs together and just like each other's content, which why? Why do we need that? And I would meet some of these influencers in real life. And it was so fake. Like we'd get together, have dinner, everybody would just take pictures. So we're not even interacting with each other. We're just taking photos of what we're doing. And we'd all follow each other. And then I'd get home and they would have, they all unfollowed me. Like, and I'm like, Oh, these aren't real people. They're, (laughs) they're assholes. Like they just want to be here for the fame or, you know, they want to keep their follower count down or, I'm not their cup of tea. And I was always like the disruptor. I think I've always been kind of a disruptor in this space. And so Instagram really didn't receive me that well. Like now I think it's kind of changing where people are coming from TikTok and actually following me on Instagram. But I was never able to find like a real, you know, collective or group of friends that I feel like I could be authentic with. The liberating thing about TikTok is when I started creating content, I didn't give a shit because nobody knew me on that platform. And that's kind of a fun thing too, is nobody knows you. (laughs) Who cares? But I 
almost would not take some of my videos from TikTok and put them on Instagram. Now I don't care. I will do that. But like in the beginning, I was very hesitant because those two worlds were so separate. And I think that's kind of telling. I mean, that just says it all. I think that they will probably be Facebook and Instagram. They'll probably be here for a while. um, But I think it's going to be a pay to play platform. You know, like Facebook has turned into a place where you're just feeding ads. And I think the problem is, is a lot of small business owners that don't have a lot of access to, or that we do, we're overloaded with content at this point, actually, we have access to education, it's just not accessible to them, because maybe they don't learn digitally, especially the older small business owners. But now that they've taken the time to be on Facebook, they've taken the time to be on Instagram, I think it'll be here for a while for them. And because that's the only place they know the new up and coming stuff. That's where everybody kind of jumps and like the savvy people will always like keep moving forward, like the Gary V's of the world. But for small business owners, like that aren't as tech savvy, I see a real disconnect and a real problem. And that's what I saw actually when Instagram for business started becoming a thing. I really wanted to help small business owners. And in the town that I lived in at the time, there were a lot of older small business owners. So I taught classes on what to do. They were overwhelmed. I'm in person teaching like five people and they were like, what? And now I'm getting hit up every day via my personal text messages. Like, oh no, I can't be your tick, like your Instagram teacher. This is madness. So I just think that that Facebook and Instagram don't really have the tools, but they are like probably the easiest platform for somebody to be on. So in that regard, I think they'll be around for a long time, but I don't know how relevant they will be or how, I don't know. (laughs) One thing that I want to, I want to loop back to with, with both of you is something that offline Whitney and I have been discussing Allison not only amongst ourselves, but the we're involved with a mastermind with a couple um, other friends of ours who are in the health, wellness, food industry, and we were having a conversation the other evening about how I brought up the feeling that one of the comments from fake famous Justine Bateman, the actress who was on there, talked about how you know social media fame isn't actually fame. You're just kind of like, she she phrased it as kind of an infomercial host that everyone's just kind of like on there to get brand deals. And then as you said, Allison, you begin to change the nature of your content because you either see a paradigm that's working and you want to duplicate the success and there's the pressure to duplicate the success. But a part of that is when you actually do start to get to a point where brands are paying you, not just in product, but there's actual money involved. And for years, if I'm taking full responsibility for it, I have definitely changed who I am, how I present, the kind of content I'm doing because I was being paid to do it. And I got my first influencer, paid influencer contract a little over a decade ago. It was like January, 2011. And it was like, oh my God, you're, you're paying me to do YouTube videos. You're paying me to do Facebook posts. Like it was, it was mind blowing, right? But I'm now realizing a decade later that I sacrificed a lot of 
what I actually wanted to say and do because I was doing it the way that the brand wanted me to do it because they were paying me. And in some cases, a lot of money. And so kind of the dark side of this is the sacrificing of what we actually want to do in our hearts as artists or creators because there's the carrot being dangled. And in some cases, really, really big carrots. I mean, in Fake Famous, they were saying, you know, Kim Kardashian's base rate for one post is what, half a million dollars? And that in some cases, the social media managers are paying influencers, you know, 80 grand for one Instagram post and two tweets. And when you're, when you're working with those kind of numbers, it's hard not to be yourself when there's an expectation of a brand and all those dollar signs, right? So I wanted to loop back the, the comment you said at the beginning, Allison, of A, when you start to see content that's working, it's the pressure to duplicate your own success. But then there's the pressure of, oh, I'm getting paid to do this now. I need to do what the brand wants me to do so they're happy so I keep getting paid. But we lose, for me, my experience is I lost some of myself in that process. I really did. And I'm trying to reclaim some of myself after being in a mode for a decade of got to please my sponsors, got to please the brands, got to please the TV network, got to please these guys. And I lost some of myself in that. And I think that's one thing I want to touch on because it's really important as creators when we start to lose ourselves. Like I'm on a really hard road to find myself again, to be quite honest, because I was so excited about the money that I lost some of my authentic creative spirit. I hate my realness. Let's use that word, my realness. I lost some of my realness. That resonates a lot because I think that this isn't a weird space, right? With social media in general, like never did we think we would be at a point where you could be getting paid quite a bit to do to promote this or to talk about this or be a spokesperson or brand ambassador for this brand. And I think that that's what it all kind of works together. You know, we're all human beings and we're all growing every single day. We're changing every single day. I mean, especially like when you think about somebody like maybe Charlie D'Amelio, she's so young. She doesn't know who she is fully and she'll probably change over the course of time. And I think this is so extreme, but I also just watched the Framing Britney Spears documentary as well. And it was unbelievable to me how she rose to fame so quickly as a young woman, has two kids, probably is going going through postpartum and then like being bombarded by paparazzi who are making money and profiting off of her exploitation. And it was disgusting. It's gross. And that's the world we kind of live in, you know, now that like media is so prominent in our lives. So you take somebody who had everything and now doesn't even have control of her own life. I think that trickles down into every facet of like every other person who is on social media or is making money through social media. There's some level of like losing yourself along the way. And I think like, I told you, I went on a three month, just like, I can't even do anything. I can't even like get out of bed because, and it, it wasn't directly related to social media, but that was a huge factor. That was, that was a huge correlation. And so I haven't even really gotten paid that much for sponsorships because I'm more of a, on the business side, right? But I still understand what it's like to get wrapped up in that entire world and provide something for somebody or some sort of audience. 
based on what you're known for or you know what you've been kind of creating along the way already and i think i was thinking about whitney when you had talked about fake famous when all the women got in the van and did that road trip and took all these pictures i had a, an opportunity a couple of years ago to go to new york fashion week um because i was like a micro influencer i also had like a blog on the side and I didn't have that many followers at all. But my friend was like, if you can get out to New York City, I can get you into New York Fashion Week. We just need more people there. And I was like, great. So I like spent my own money to go out. Like I didn't even get paid to do this. The whole appeal was the free ticket to New York Fashion Week. I paid my own money. And then I hit up a local boutique to see if they would dress me for New York Fashion Week. And I was like, cool, this is going to be really awesome. I've never done anything like this before. It was the most stressful weekend of my entire life. And I didn't understand how people enjoyed getting up super early, doing their hair and makeup, taking photos, like the stress of having to take the right photo that they may or may not use. And then like get, go find a random restaurant, change in their bathroom to get your next outfit changed. And it was snowing in New York as well. I did not understand like, how and i thought to myself never again will i do this but i can understand how if you're getting a lot, paid a lot of money you could get wrapped up in that but it's it's hard again we're all human so i think that like going through and just growing as a human and then understanding where your boundaries are like it's no wonder that you're feeling like you've lost part of that realness because of like being sucked into this vortex because it's hard not to be. But I think what's happening now by having these kinds of conversations and connecting with like-minded individuals who have maybe had similar experiences or who are just fed up, it's going to start to shift where we can all figure out how like, to cultivate that joy again and share that with each other. And I have this prediction that it's going to go this, it's going to swing the opposite direction. And now, like I said, there will always be people that definitely still stay in that vortex that are always going to be trying to promote authenticity, even inauthentically. But I think that there's a whole population of people. It's like the time of like the people who have been real this whole time <laughs> that can help lead the way or help empower us to be more liberated by being ourselves. It's so interesting because reflecting on like, what has happened in such a short amount of time? To Jason's point, he's only been getting sponsorship opportunities for the past 10 years. And, and for me, it was around the same time. I think my very first actual paid sponsorship was in 2012. And back then, it was much more innocent. You know, I was getting paid for my blog, right? Like blogging was like the first kind of major wave of influence in the digital world. I, I'm you know, there are historically examples of influence, you know, throughout the, the time of human history, like influence itself is, is nothing new. But in terms of influencer marketing, which really picked up speed between 2013 and 2015, as Instagram was rising, I mean, Instagram really, to me, is like the quintessential influencer platform. Right now. And now, as we've been talking about, I think people are starting to move away and into platforms like TikTok. Now we're seeing people on Clubhouse, which remains to be seen how that'll play a role in all of this. But it's fascinating because A, it hasn't been going on that long, which is like 
really interesting when you think about it because you can get so caught up in this that you it's hard to remember what life was like before this time in our lives. And the other interesting thing is, is that now there are kids that have grown up entirely with access to digital tools that we didn't have as kids. So their lives are drastically different than ours. We have people like Charlie D'Amelio who are 16, 17 years old and getting massive fame and reaching more people than most young child actors ever did. We do have the history of seeing what's happened to a lot of child actors, though, and, and you know, so many of them have had mental health issues as a result. My prediction is that mental health is going to be a massive, massive problem. Like, I mean, it already is increasing, but I think these teenagers that are experiencing fame at such a young age and getting money based on their social media at such a young age... They're, they might not be going to college. I mean, I think the whole college experience is changing anyways because of like the pandemic. It's obviously drastically changed the university experience. And some people are choosing not to do that form of education for financial reasons. But I think a lot of people are also going to choose not to go to college because they know that they can make money online. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects people psychologically. Because for me, college wasn't just about the education it was about the socializing that you experienced, the freedom of leaving your home and go, you know, for many people, going to the dormitories and having a roommate for the first time that's not your family member and, you know, being on your own in so many ways. Like that was a coming of age experience that a lot of people are not going to have anymore. And I wonder how that's going to affect us psychologically. We're already seeing how being physically distant from one another is affecting us, but. We're only a year into that. So there's a lot to be seen about the long-term impacts. But I think that can actually be very equated to the long-term impacts of social media. Let's just say like influencer marketing really took hold in 2015. Like I feel like it had been starting and growing before then, but like there was something about 2015 that started to drastically change things, which I think all of us have experienced on some level or another. That was only six years ago. And so much has happened in that time. And there are people like us who are getting fed up with it. But what about all these other people who have, for the past six years, been watching people like the Kardashians, people like, you know, all of these social media influencers who have shown this life, as as was documented in Fake Famous, of like luxury that is accessible to everyone, which sounds like a wonderful promise. Like anybody from their bedroom can become famous overnight. We've been taught to believe, right? All you have to do is present yourself in a certain way and you can manipulate the way you look through filters and angles and lighting and clothes and makeup. If you just do those things and follow these steps, you too could have all these followers and make all of this money and feel happy. But I think a lot of people have been hesitant to discuss the side effects of all of this. And, and it's a lot like taking a drug. It's like when you watch an infomercial on TV, they show this happy life. But if you really listen closely, they're listing out all of these side effects to taking those drugs and they're putting them at the bottom as a disclaimer. And we barely even know that. We're still being brainwashed to believe that taking a drug is going to make you feel better and going to change your life. 
So you have to pay close attention. But what's I think what the danger is with influencer marketing right now is there isn't that disclaimer. There are not enough people talking about the side effects of this. And I'm starting to feel more passionate about it. And watching someone like Jason, who's I'm very close to in my life, like really experience 10 years later the side effects of this. What it's like, as you were also saying, Allison, I think many people are experiencing this on TikTok. TikTok, I don't know if it's intentional or not, or just a product of the algorithm, but I think the dark side of TikTok is that it blows you up really quickly in many cases. A lot of people on TikTok experience you know, a viral video at some point. It's so common on there. I think that's part of the draw. So they experience a viral video and they think that they're on their way to fame. And then the next day, their their video that they made with all those expectations gets a fraction of the views. And they think, hmm, I must have done something wrong. Let me try this again. And you get caught up in this loop of chasing after that success. And maybe you get it again, just like playing the lottery. But it toys with your emotions. And, and we have been conditioned over the past six years or so to believe that we too could get the fame and the money and the happiness that we've seen. And I don't know how many people actually achieve that. It's just been like presented to us in so many ways to make it feel like it's possible. And, and not only possible, but we've been conditioned to believe that if we can get to those levels that we will feel satisfied and happy, fulfilled, and we've made it. And lastly, I would say that that's a, a huge danger I see with somebody like Charlie D'Amelio, like meaning not only is she representing that as a teenager to people that are very impressionable, but she too, I think it's very likely we're going to see something similar as we saw with Britney Spears because her family in general, none of them are prepared for that. They are riding the wave of fame that is inevitably going to hit some sort of a wall that could all come crashing down, and it could lead to big issues like Britney Spears is facing with her dad. You know, it's horrifying. So it's like Britney Spears is like a big cautionary tale that I think we need to pay more attention to, and I'm so glad that you brought that up, Allison. Yeah, I think that especially with as much as we're also obsessed with fame, we're also obsessed with watching downfalls, right? Like, and I think I was talking to my husband about this when we were watching the Britney Spears documentary. I think it's so strange that just like capitalism in a way and like hitting your quotas every year, it's always one upping the next, but that's not real life. Like if you think about it, it real life is like this, it, it ebbs and flows. There's an up and a down and a sideways, nothing is linear, you know? And I think that the more we can kind of recognize that that's not real, you know, I think more people need to talk about the fact that it's not real because I see that having a huge effect on people. And like you were saying with Jason, you've actually personally experienced it. I'm experiencing it with my friends who are consumers. So you even take us out of the like influencer, educator, business owner worlds, like, luckily, I think I feel very lucky that I'm a business owner. So in a way, I've been able to be kind of removed because I haven't always been attached to my personally to my brand. I've only now been more personally involved in the brand as the face. I've always been very comfortable behind the scenes. So I've been able to develop a relationship that feels a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit of space. However, when I'm watching my friends post on their social medias, it's really interesting to me because I'm always wondering like, 
who is your audience? Like it's become more than just sharing about your life. It's become like a, a contest, like a showboating contest where everything has to be, even my friends are making posts that are curated or putting like, you know, they have like a very, like a branded way of putting their stories together. And, and it's fun because it's artsy. So if it brings you joy, like I'm all about that. But I also feel like there has been this, they feel sucked into this same kind of like, well, other people are posting beautiful photos. Like I want to post beautiful photos and they're just replicating each other. But what is it for? Who is it for? And it's been really interesting to kind of witness that side of it. Because like you were saying, there's so much detriment, I think, when it comes to thinking about the long-term effects on your mental health, because that's already many of us have experienced this. And I think even my friends, like I said, who are consumers, a lot of them have been like, oh, I'm taking a social media break. And they do it like often. They go on like social media diets or social media breaks often. And the fact that like we even have to do that as a practice, I think it's great because it's a great practice, but it's also fucked up at the same time. Because it's like, why can't, why do we have to take a break from this thing? And then now why are we coming back to it? Like I've had a friend that keeps announcing that she's going to take a break and then she never does. And I'm like, I think you should take a break for a second. It's just. Sounds like you, Jason. (laughs) You know, it's also, you know, if we talk about social media, not as, as the sole cause of of human issues or human psychopathies, right? As maybe a new mutated, hyper-powerful, hyper-financed version. Whitney sent me a video the other day that was one of those where it was like, absolutely. And this guy on this video was talking about how women typically have been valued and subjugated based on their level of societally accepted sexual attractiveness. That if we look at a lot of women that are held to beauty standards, It's based on certain metrics of what we hold to be sexually desirable. But on the one hand, we subjugate, we we reward women for being sexually attractive. But then if they leverage that sexual attractiveness in the wrong way, we proverbially burn them at the stake. Like we're not burning women at the stake anymore, but we're burning their character. Like we're assassinating people's character. But he also made the point that prototypically men in American society are valued and judged based on their ability to make money and provide economically, right? And I know this is a very basic, there's so many nuances in this conversation, but on a very fundamental sense, I agree with him. I think that women are subjugated for their looks and their sexual attractiveness. Men are subjugated by their level of how they're able to produce. And you know what I see in the social media world is an exacerbation of these very fundamental subjugations. Women are rewarded and vilified, but for their looks and attractiveness, and men are rewarded and vilified for how successful they are, right? And and we see, you talked about the growth, Allison. It's like, you know, everything's 10x, 10x, crush it, scale, 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 become a global brand. And I'm so fucking tired of seeing these goddamn messages. I'm so fucking, on both sides, I'm sick of the vilification and the rewarding of sexual attractiveness for women, for burning them at the stake. And I'm sick of of these these agro entrepreneur dudes saying you've got to scale and 10x all the time and crush it. It's so banal and it's so boring and it's so, but it works. The reason it works is because they're preying on people's not enoughness. They're pushing them deeper into the comparison trap that if you as a woman are not attractive enough, 
you are not winning at life. You have failed somehow. And as a man, if you're not making enough money and you're not crushing it in the business world, but this is also not just for men. I mean, female entrepreneurs are subject to this mindset too. And I think the whole overall thing is social media is just a new tool to subjugate people, make them feel not enough through marketing messages and NLP and copywriting, and then selling you on a product because you feel like shit about yourself. (laughs) And it's like, what if we as people say, fuck your standards, I don't care about 10xing my business and making nine figures this year, and I don't care about your fucking beauty standards. It takes a lot of courage and hard work to rip yourself out of the matrix and say, I'm going to train myself to not care about these things. It's really hard. And for me, as much as I work on the mental side of this, I still get caught up in it. You know, I'll see some of my friends like, I made seven figures this month and this is how I did it. Do you want to know how I did it? Let me show you how I did it. I'm like, oh, will you fuck off? Will you please just fuck off with this? You know, so even me, as much as I work on this, I'm still finding myself needing to draw myself out of that trap because it ultimately is a trap, I believe. I completely agree. You know what I think is that it's going to take like, you know, we found each other because I was vocal on TikTok. And I think that by continuing to team up with like-minded people and continue to have these conversations, because it's it's like we're all processing the trauma, kind of, you know? So to come together and really actually talk about these things that I think a lot of people feel, but a lot of people still practice. Like you said, it's very hard to pull yourself out of that world and really detach. And I think that by having almost like support groups in that way of other people that feel the same way where we can actually hash it out and say like, okay, like we're all in this together. I think that'll help us along on that journey because I think there's a lot of work to do. Um, But I also really see this trend of people being fed the fuck up because we can only take this advice of like growth, growth, like for so long, we can only see so much of the same thing for so long until we're like, wait a second, none of us feel this way. Why are we like giving this thing power? And I can't wait for this to get dismantled. Cause I even think that influencer culture and that world is starting to crumble a little bit and it'll probably shift and evolve in a different way. But I already see that level of fakeness that people are just not really drawn to anymore. I was actually thinking about what you were saying with men and kind of the standards of men and women. But my husband, for instance, he started a podcast. It's mostly around like business and having conversations with people he really wants to learn from. But he his main thing was wanting to bring vulnerability to the table as a man because he's always been somebody who's able to tap more into his vulnerable side, his sensitivity. He was afraid of it for a very long time. And now he feels very empowered by it. And it's actually been very difficult in our personal life with our friendships because the men he's collected in his life have not been as comfortable being open and honest. And so there's this, there is this isolation period when you kind of wake up to your life and take control of what you do or how you want to show up, how you want to be and do it with conviction where you might lose some people along the way or just kind of keep going on this path. You don't lose them, I guess. You might leave them behind. And I think that that's why is that period of kind of isolation or feeling alone can be really hard to then detach because that's how we get sucked back into like old patterns and habits. And 
So for him, he's just, I guess, luckily we have each other. So we've been able to kind of empower each other along the way. And we're like, we woke up last week and we're like, I guess it's just us. But now again, by showing up in the world, we're actually like attracting the right people. And like, I'm actually meeting people that I feel like I could get in groups with and have productive conversation and really kind of talk about the things that we want to change in the world and we want to change in this space. So yeah, I can completely understand like, because I think we've all been on this journey of trying to figure out how we get out of it. But I really do see this trend over the course of, I think with everything that went on in 2020 and just people being fed up with everything and kind of being forced to reevaluate the way that they live in the, in the world and what their passions are, what, what their purpose is in life or, or what they even want to spend their money on. I think that's, we're going to start to see a real big change. That's my prediction. These conversations are really important to your point. And uh, I'm curious how you're feeling, Jason. And I wanted to go back to asking like about how you're feeling about TikTok. And I also love to talk about Clubhouse because Clubhouse is like the newer platform. As of the time of this recording, I think it has like 6 million viewers. I mean, 6 million users now. But uh, it's been around for almost a year. And yet at the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, it just like grew exponentially. So it feels like the new platform. And I remember like TikTok feeling that way at a certain point. There was like the super, uh, not early adopters, but whatever the ter- term is that comes before early adoption, like the people that get on these platforms immediately without hesitation or know about them. And I think the awareness of Clubhouse has been spreading and same thing with TikTok. So you're seeing more and more people come on. And I first want to ask Jason, like how, how you've been thinking about TikTok, because it's something that you and I talk a lot about offline. And then I want to talk about Clubhouse. So Jason, where do you stand right now with TikTok? And since you have Allison here, maybe she has a different perspective of it and its place in your life than I do. <laughs> Part of my big hesitance to get on TikTok is twofold. I'm very mindful of not allowing the overwhelm button to get pressed in my life and the pressure to get on new platforms and maintain old platforms. It's like, okay, in my mind, it's like, this is just my mind. doesn't mean it's real, but okay, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's YouTube, there's Clubhouse, there's TikTok. That's what, you know, that's, and my and my two email inboxes and my blog and my podcast that's 11 things my brain has to somehow manage it's too much like i know for me that's massively that's mashing the overwhelm button okay so now i could say all right fuck facebook fuck twitter i don't really care anymore right eliminate those that still leaves nine things my brain has to manage so part of it is me being very mindful of not mashing that overwhelm button in my life because that's an activator for really dark mental health spaces for me to go into. That's number one. Number two, I am realizing, as I mentioned, that a lot of the motivations for me succeeding on social media in the past has been a paradigm from my childhood, which I've talked about on the podcast, Whitney. We've we've talked about this in, in so, sort of my mental health struggles is sort of the dance monkey dance paradigm of if I'm the most entertaining guy in the room and I'm the guy at the party or the guy at the social media where everyone's like, Jason's so funny. He's so entertaining. We love his voices. We love his songs. He's so creative. We love him. 
that if I'm that guy and that's the guy that I've been on social media, whether it's been real or not, most of the time, to be honest, there's been a lot of unrealness with that. It's me trying to get affection, attention, and significance because then I won't be abandoned, right? Like to get super real, I've adopted that persona since I was a child because of the fear of abandonment and isolation because of my father leaving, right? So I don't want to get on TikTok and have that be my motivation of, I'm the guy who's going to dazzle you and entertain you and look at my songs and I'm so funny. And to be blunt, I think a lot, not all, but a great majority of people who want to be actors, entertainers, musicians, artists, not all, but many of them are fueled by some trauma from their childhood where they're trying to overcompensate by getting attention, significance, fame, and importance. I am one of those people. So I don't want to keep that trend going in my life. And my fear is until I break this for myself and I heal it, I'm just going to go on TikTok and be like, I'm going to dazzle you guys. I'm so funny and amazing. Look at me. I don't want to operate that way anymore. And until I can break that habit and come at this from a new approach and be more real and not come from that place of trauma and trying to get attention, it's just going to be me repeating the same patterns of the past. And I don't want to do it. (sighs) That was a lot. So that's my reticence to get on TikTok is I want to come at it from a more real space where I'm not trying to get something from the audience. I'm not trying to be something. I'm not trying to be this important, famous person. I don't want to chase that anymore. I don't want to chase it anymore. Now I feel super raw. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I think it's it's wonderful. And I, you know, this is something that we've discussed a lot, but I think the way that you just shared that, Jason, is really succinct and clear. And it probably is going to resonate with a lot of people. And I'm curious, Allison, for you hearing it the first time and you working with small business owners, you know, one of the things I love about you is you're not coming at this, as you said, from that influencer standpoint, you're coming at it as somebody who's running a business and making observations. I'm wondering, like, based on everything that Jason said, and for anyone else who can resonate with that, would you even recommend TikTok for them? Do you think that there's a place for them without that's not going to trigger that trauma response? I guess it would depend because like all social media platforms, it has that level of like addiction where you can get sucked in. And I think from a consumer standpoint, it is kind of a great escape. But like, if you already know yourself, I think it's so important to listen to yourself because you know best. Because I've had friends that go on it and it's seriously like their joy because they like seeing all the funny videos and but but one of my really close friends she did say like man I'm on it all day every day because I'm so depressed and like it makes so it's like kind of perpetuating that cycle a little bit but acting as an escape so probably like a version of Netflix or watching you know a, a movie or something like that but again I think listening to yourself is really important I think it was thank you so much by the way for sharing that because I feel being vulnerable in that way, like I just feel very like happy and and honored that you would share that with me as well. And I spent a lot of time this year, especially in the time that I like was really sad and depressed, like working on inner child healing because of that same kind of, for me, not abandonment, but more so realizing, and I'm getting raw too, but like realizing kind of my unhealthy relationship with food and unhealthy relationship with money and and things that I had, I kind of by forcing to go inward, like 
realized this year that are so outside of like social media, but probably triggered by social media and the pressure of performing and doing all these things. And yeah, so when you had said all of this, I'm like, ah, we all need some inner child healing. (laughs) Because and that's why I've been such a an advocate for like cultivating your own joy, especially like for me, my my thing for me is creativity. And I'm, I'm sure you're very similar in that way. Like showing up creatively and entertaining is really fun. Like it's a way for you to like bring joy to yourself. And I think being able to figure out how to compartmentalize the joy for yourself versus the joy for other people or the validation from other people is a really key component to unlock. Because for me, for a while, I started creating for myself, spending time in nature, doing things, but listening to my body, like just listening to like, what do I feel like doing right now? And I'm going to paint, but I'm not going to film myself painting. I'm not going to, there's no agenda for anybody else. It's all for me. And I think just continuing to cultivate that for myself has been really, really crucial and important. And it's the only reason why I'm able to kind of show up now on TikTok because I'm starting to really set these boundaries of like, no, like I don't feel like posting today or no, I will or will not post this or that, or I don't know, you know, so that care for myself has been crucial. And sometimes it takes way more for me to do that for myself. Like it takes away from my day job and I don't care. Like I'm so blessed that I am in a position in my business this is why I started a business because I wanted to have this like level of balance. If I am sad, I can do whatever the fuck I want today and I'll cancel all my meetings. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that resonates so much, Allison. And, and likewise, th- you know, thank you for sharing your journey with the stuff from your past that you're working on healing. And it's important. And I'm glad you brought up this inner child healing, whether that's you know, through psychotherapy or removing these distractions so that you can get back to who you are as you did and you continue to do. I think there's so many ways that people can approach this and there's not one right way. There's many different paths, I think, to do this. But I think, you know, again, social media being a lens or a magnifier, if you will, that, you know, going back really quickly to we're we're talking about Charlie or we're talking about a lot of these, these child stars or young, young people that might still have, may or may not have some trauma that they haven't even begun to work through yet. And then you throw the numbers and the fame and the money and the influence and the media coverage to someone who hasn't necessarily even gone into the depths of healing some things that might need to be healed. And as a cautionary tale, you talk about if someone hasn't taken the time or hasn't even cultivated the awareness to know they have something to work on. There's, I mean, I could use myself as an example, right? Going through life for years thinking, I don't need to go to therapy. I don't need to work on my, what, what I'm fine. But then later on in life realizing, oh, holy shit, there's so much that needs to be worked on. And I think that the thing that concerns me is not just really young people, teenagers, people, people of any age who are using social media and this idea of getting famous as a substitute for love as a substitute for accepting themselves and knowing themselves, as a substitute for the affection and attention they didn't get from their parents or family. And I think part of the psychological hook here that we're talking about in the addiction is it really is a lot of substitution going on of the money, the fame, and the attention will make me feel whole. It'll fill me up somehow. And I was talking to my therapist 
yesterday about this. And one of my favorite all-time Will Smith quotes, I'm not necessarily a huge Will Smith fan, but I saw an interview with him once that I was like, dude, that was deep. He said, there's no amount of success that will heal your trauma. There's no amount of success that will heal your trauma. And I thought, think about how much of the world is operating in that paradigm subconsciously though. If I just get enough success and money and fame, somehow I'll be healed. And it just doesn't work that way. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Allison, of giving yourself the permission to say, fuck it. I'm going to take the space and time for myself to heal and be more in touch with who I am at the core of my being. And I hope for me that I take more of that time. And I hope for more of us humans on the planet, we take more of that time because we keep chasing things that are these substitutions that if we don't do the inner work and we don't do the healing, we will never be fulfilled. There's no amount of money or fame or attention that will fill the hole inside of us. It just doesn't work that way. But we keep on chasing as humans. We keep on chasing. That resonates a lot because I think about you were saying, you know, it's filling this void. And I think to echo that or add to your point, the perceived idea of success as well. And I, a lot of us are chasing success, not just fame, but this idea of what success is, where none of us have been taught in like just by regular society standards that we should feel empowered to generate our own idea of success because success looks different for everybody. What I deem as successful in my own life is completely different for what you would deem as successful in your own life. And I think that being able to have the tools to understand that or, or even just be able to sit with yourself long enough to be able to give yourself the time or the space to understand what your idea of success is. And I think when we were talking about everybody being on their own journey as well, because you might not even know that you have trauma there, that's also part of the journey is like understanding yourself more and more along the way. And I think as the more we can tune in and tap in and just listen to ourselves, because there's no judgment there, the better off we'll be into maybe opening up our mindset or waking up every time, raising our conscious consciousness every single time. When my husband first quit his job to work with me at my company, his mom was really upset. And she was like, wait, but like you're, I mean, he was making the most money he had ever made in his life. And he was like the top salesman of his company. And he was so unhappy, like so unhappy. And I was stressed the fuck out as a solo business owner. And so he'd come home and we just wouldn't talk. So when you get to that level in your relationship where like neither of you has the energy to like lift the other person up, it's really, really difficult. And he finally, one day, it took him like two years to quit. And he said, what, what if I worked with you? And I was like, that would be fucking amazing. That would be my dream. And his family was really opposed to the idea of, because they were so latched on to this like idea or this picture that they had already painted. And when my husband told his mom, like, mom, I was very unhappy. She was like, no, you weren't like you were making money. And it's like, it's not always about money. So even to have like this program in our own circles, like with people that genuinely care about us that do have our best interests, but like still have an idea of what they think is best. That's a really hard thing to break as well. And when I was talking about my inner child healing, you know, over the course of the last few months, when I started digging into, because of TikTok, by the way, I like, somehow, this is the scary part is it like knows me so well that it's giving me videos about like, do you need to heal your inner child? And I'm like, oh, fuck, I do. <laughs> and <laughs> 
I started looking into it and I'm like thinking, well, I had a fantastic childhood. I loved my life growing up. I didn't, there was nothing like traumatic. I mean, my parents did get divorced, but then I start like attaching to certain things or trying to take an emotion that I'm feeling because I was reverting back to a lot of old patterns and behaviors from like high school. And I'm like, why am I acting out in this way? And then I'm starting to try to pin it back to certain things and realizing, oh, even though I had a fantastic childhood or I I had an enjoyable life, these are the things that I'm pinpointing back to this situation. So being able to have that level of consciousness, awareness, and space has been crucial in my journey to, you know, preserving my own lifestyle and the balance versus society, social media, all of that. It's so interesting reflecting on this too, because um, going back to what Jason was saying about like the dance monkey dance, which is kind of ironic because that's like one of the trending songs on TikTok, Jason. (laughs) So when you said it, I was like, wow, (laughs) they don't, it's not really used in the context that you're saying. So it certainly would be interesting to see you you using it in that context. Uh, But as I said, I wanted to talk about Clubhouse and I think the transition into Clubhouse makes sense based on what you were just saying, Allison, and, and as we've been leading up to this whole discussion around asking like why you're doing things, who it's for, and like tapping into the deeper reasons. I think what's challenging about a newer platform like Clubhouse is a lot of us go on there and look at what other people are doing. Like that's a natural thing. Like, that's why I'm bringing out the monkey thing. It's like it's a natural human tendency to go into a new environment and for safety and security reasons, it's like, okay, let me see what other people are doing to figure out what I want to do. Some people will do their own thing. Like they don't need to, to look at, at it. But I think most people are taking cues from others. And when I entered into Clubhouse, and I think this is something I've heard a lot of people share, and I'm curious with you, Allison, how you're feeling. You actually mentioned this in a TikTok video, so I think I know some of the things you're going to say. But it's like there are so many entrepreneurs on that platform sharing advice and trying to position themselves in, in as experts and authorities, and they're using Clubhouse to grow. And again, like I'm not fully, I'm guilty of doing this as well, because I think on social media, it's like, if you're using this for your business, your aim is like, how can I establish my authority, right? So I don't think it's necessarily bad uh, or wrong, but I'm also biased. So it's hard to say from from where I stand. But what I don't feel comfortable with is when people try to establish their authority by bringing down other people by telling them that they're not good enough and that they need to do more. And we certainly see see this a lot on TikTok too, because there are a lot of people on TikTok coming out and saying, hey, want to grow your following on TikTok? They're manipulating us immediately because most people go on TikTok, not just to, well, if you're not just consuming, if you're creating on TikTok, there's probably at least part of you that's hoping that you're going to go viral and you're going to get a lot of followers. So there are people that kind of manipulate that desire on TikTok and manipulate that desire in Clubhouse Hey, if you if you want to be successful, follow my steps. Hey, if you want to be successful, you need to do all of these things. And in order to achieve them, you should buy my course or use my affiliate link to buy the other thing that I'm recommending. And again, I'm not anti-course selling. Jason and I have courses. I'm not anti-affiliate programs. We're part of them too. But when I was listening to the TikTok I saw of yours today, Allison, I don't know if how recently you put it out because TikTok will show you videos in random order, but but you were sharing how your husband went on Clubhouse 
and was trying to learn about podcasting, I believe. And yet he was, there was all these like quote podcast experts telling him that he had to buy all this equipment and do all of these extreme things in order to be successful. And I immediately felt like protective over your husband, even though I've never met him or interacted with him. Because sure, like there are, are certainly things you can optimize, but to try to convince somebody that they can't just start where they're at, I think is a huge disservice. And we have to examine that when anyone's telling us we're not good enough or who we are right now is not going to work. That is a big red flag. And I think that a lot of the times as human beings, we have a tendency to listen to that information because we already perceive ourselves as not good enough. So it's like the confirmation bias. Oh, somebody just told me I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. I don't have enough. I was right. And they're confirming it. And now I, I, I'm going to try to feel better about myself to cope with, with these not enough emotions by going to try to fix it. And the huge challenge that Jason and I face in the wellness industry is that that's, that is hugely dominated by this personal development mindset that we're seeing a lot in Clubhouse too of like, you have to constantly optimize, you have to constantly improve yourself, and you become addicted to that process. So you spend all of this time buying courses and products and equipment and changing yourself all in this hopes that you'll finally feel enough. And I think what I have recognized after over 10 years as a content creator, none of that stuff has made me feel enough. Because like both of you, my inner child work is is based in that not enoughness. So I have to go back to those roots. And simultaneously, if I want to continue creating content as I do, then I have to embrace the imperfection, embrace who I am, and also lead with that, just like you were saying at the very beginning, Allison. It's like, it's okay to go on TikTok without makeup on. It's okay to go on Instagram stories without a filter. It's okay if your hair is a mess and you're you're not, you know, wearing the best clothes and things are messy in your background. Like all of these things can be so distracting and they take away from the essence of who we really are. It's okay if you have a podcast and you don't have the best equipment yet. Because as most of us have learned, it's more, more important to just start. And I think coming back to the whole reason I wanted to, you on the podcast, Allison, is because I resonate so deeply with what you're creating on TikTok. You are a sigh of re- relief for me because you're one of the few people out there talking about business from a truly genuine angle of like you're showing up as you are. You're talking about your experience. You're calling bullshit on a lot of this stuff. I want to see that. I don't want to see somebody telling me that I'm not enough. I don't want to see someone saying that I need a new light or I need to use this filter or I, I need to get this new microphone or camera and you know that capitalistic mentality we have. So to go back to Clubhouse, but you can touch upon anything, of course, I brought up a lot. <laughs> I do want to talk about Clubhouse a bit and how that is a huge element occurring on that platform that I think is can be really damaging and actually might cause people not to even want to be on Clubhouse or even enjoy it. Like they go on there and they're like, I don't want any of this. I get plenty of this on the other platforms. I don't need more. I don't need somebody else telling me I'm not enough on there. There is so much I can say. There's, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. So let's see, where do I even begin? First of all, yeah, when my husband was in that room, he actually went up on the stage. And he said, I disagree with you guys. Like I started a podcast and I'm doing 
just fine. And I don't have a fancy mic and I don't have a fancy webcam or whatever. And it was, I think probably a sigh of relief for the other people that were listening in the room, because that's what he said was the, the actual theme of the room was a lot of people were very scared to just show up. And I think that the nature of how I started my business is why I'm so passionate about this because I partnered with um, a young man and like kind of took over his company. Like we, we did promotional graphics before we did actually like branding and websites and all of that. And he had a, he was a rich kid from Los Gatos, California. And so he like started a startup out of his garage, like total like garage story and his parents, friends like invested in the business. And, and he's a really, really like successful guy. Like he is brilliantly, like he is a great designer that I won't discredit him in that way, but I did not grow up the same way. I didn't have the same tools. I did not have the same resources. I didn't have entrepreneur parents. So I don't, I didn't live in his world and I didn't know what I didn't know. So when I took over his business, I completely failed the first time. And I was really reluctant to like start up a business again. But when I did, I had to learn like one brick at a time, step by step. I've made a million mistakes and nobody ever taught me or told me. I just like on my, I don't know why I think I've always been this way, just on my own accord decided like, well, I'm going to just try this and see what works. I wasted so much time, but I didn't because I learned a lot. But in that way, it, it bothers me that this idea of creating is inaccessible or creating something that you want to do or want to try, whether it's a podcast or a business, it is accessible now. If anything, we have more tools and resources than we ever had. And I think that I get really frustrated by business owners showing up, telling you what you need to do. I think if they positioned it in a way that was like, this is what works for me, it, it would be received better because I hate that I see all these marketers coming through my TikTok feed saying like, here's how you have to grow. Here's what you should and should not do. And I even saw something recently where somebody posted like, here are the like five TikTok don'ts. I was like in like the three of those don'ts. And I'm like, I have success. So according to who, you know, like do whatever the fuck you want. Cause you don't know like what's going to work. I had somebody call me for a consultation and she was like, I'm freaking out because I don't have a niche. And I was like, I'm looking at her page. Like you are your niche. Like you're, she's a, like a hand letterer. And I was like, you're wickedly talented. And it turned into like just a pep talk basically. And she was like, I feel so good about creating now. And I was like, all you needed was somebody to tell you, you could do it. I didn't even realize. And now she's just doing fantastic. So I, I get really pissed off when there are business owners that are trying to gatekeep and trying to like make it seem as though you need X, Y, Z, you need all of these things in order to be successful. No, fuck that. You only need yourself, good content, good ideas. Like don't put that kind of pressure on yourself, but like how you want to show up in the world is how you should show up in the world. And I think that because we have access to everything, you don't have to do everything perfectly the first time around. If you're in it for the long haul, you're going to grow over time. So even now I'm going to host my first webinar at the end of this month. I have never hosted a webinar. I've always been a guest on somebody else's webinar. So I'm even thinking like, oh no, I need to get like this whole payment system in place. And now I'm like, no, should I just like have people DM me and like Venmo me? You know what I mean? Like you can, there are ways you can make it really easy. It doesn't have to be this big, long process. Like you can get there. So now to talk about Clubhouse, 
What's very interesting is your experience versus mine and my husband. When I first joined the app, it was mostly black creators just having totally candid conversations about, you know, inaccessibility or like rather lack of inclusivity and representation in certain industries. There's a lot of Asian rooms I'm in. And I feel like there is um, just a lot more of that community vibe on from what I'm receiving. And so I think maybe based on like who is in our network and then who we're following, I don't know how the algorithm works in that way. I feel like everybody's getting a different experience on Clubhouse because I'm hearing a lot of like the toxicity side where there are these entrepreneurs that are on there just loving the sound of their own voice that need people in the room because they want clout and all of that shit. And then there's this other side where I'm luckily participating in rooms with people that are just there to have genuine conversations. I think one of the first rooms I ever participated in, it was uh, the day after the, yeah, the day after the insurrection. And it was just like, how are we feeling? Have we processed? And I was so grateful for that room because I would have never gone up on stage, but whoever was moderating invited me up. And it was just this raw, open, honest conversation. And I saw the value that that app could bring in terms of generating real connections, but also productive conversations. Because there were people on the right, people on the left having productive conversations. But now I'm starting to experience based on all the people that are joining the app, because I think I was logged in a month ago. And then I logged in recently and was like, whoa, like now it's interesting to see what part of my network is on this app now, because everybody's trying to get on it and see what's going on. And it bothers me that there are these business owners that are still bringing that bullshit. But I think to some degree, they'll always show up and ruin everything. Marketers ruin everything. (laughs) So I think maybe we should all take that with a grain of salt and understand that marketers suck in general. (laughs) Maybe we should have a course on how to teach people how to find the right business owners and educators to follow Honestly, that would be so refreshing on Clubhouse, actually, you know, because I've even been in rooms that have titles like that, Allison, and even they have those people in there. Like I went in one Jason told me about, it was like something about coaching. Cause like one thing that really irritates me is like there's so many coaches on there. And I do coaching. So I'm like, great. Like, am I calling myself out? But I also like never want to position myself as a coach on on Clubhouse, like unless it's in in a good context, because it just feels like add me to the list, you know, and I feel the same way about influencer. Like the word coach is starting to feel like the word influencer for me because it's just like there's so many people that are coaches now that it's diluted the value and it's made people feel really skeptical. And now it's like you have to there's pressure to like overprove yourself or make you f- yourself stand out. And I just like get queasy sometimes looking at people's profiles because like it just feels like everyone's competing. And I think that's part of the reason why Clubhouse triggers me is like to your point, Allison, there's a lot of people on there. They're just on there to market themselves. They're not on there to add value, you know? But what's cool is if you do go on to Clubhouse to add value, people are like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. Like, you're you're actually giving me value and not trying to sell me, you know? And like, I actually booked my first coaching client from Clubhouse yesterday 
And I never tried to sell him. Like I, I, all I did, he came into a ton of rooms of mine and would just listen. And I never once was like, Hey, I'm by the way, I'm a coach. Like click my link. If you want to work with me, you know, I didn't have to do that because I was, that wasn't even my intention. I just went into these rooms to talk about business and social media and wellness and all these things. And like people will naturally be drawn to you. I mean, my ego gets a little flared up because people will will comment on those things. So it's like, you know, as I was saying before, sometimes when you recognize that authentic- authenticity is working, you're like, oh, I'm going to ramp up my authenticity. And on Clubhouse, it's like, I'm just going to keep adding value because that's a form of marketing. And it is. But it's like, if I come back to the core of why I'm drawn to platforms like that is because I want to listen, I want to learn, and I want to see if there are opportunities to add value. And it's actually been good for me checking my ego because there are times where I feel like I want to jump in to add value and like I have to step back and ask like, am I just doing that so more people will follow me? Am I just doing that so that I can you know, hear my own voice or practice or whatever else? Like, What is really the reason for all of this? And so in a way, Clubhouse can be very humbling and clarifying if you can step back with that awareness. So I'm trying to to practice that because I, I think similar to TikTok, it's new and exciting and you feel like you can gain this momentum and there are amazing people on there. And it's like this whole world, now that there are six plus million people on there, the truth is that there are plenty of people that you will resonate. You just kind of have to sort through them just like anywhere else. And to go back to your point, Allison, it's true when when I joined Clubhouse which I think was towards the end of December 2020, it did feel like predominantly Black voices on there. And now I see, and maybe it's just the algorithm of who I'm following, It's it feels like predominantly white male entrepreneurs and white female coaches. And my concern is maybe I'm just not seeing it because that, you know, we, we get into our little bubbles based on our interests. And so that's something you know, maybe I need to go purposely follow more people of of color and different voices and, and really diversify intentionally. But I wonder, though, like there's that white savior side of things. It's like, are all these white people coming in and dominating and pushing them out, which that makes me feel very uncomfortable. And I actually found it very humbling when I first got on there because I was like, am I just am I going to be the I don't want to be perceived as that white woman, you know, like I just want to quietly listen and learn. And I actually have had some amazing experiences on there, one of which was transformative for me because I I stepped into a room where I was in the minority. It was mostly Indian people talking about what was going on in India or I think still is going on in India with farmers. And it was like such an incredible experience to be in the minority and to be humbled and ignorant and just say like, wow, I'm truly here to learn. I have nothing nothing of value to offer. And they were grateful for that. They were grateful because they want to reach more people outside of, of their world. And so I think there are opportunities to come together more on that platform and learn from each other and like really, really listen and not just wait for our turn to speak. So I, you know, whatever we can do collectively to push that forward. And I think for anyone that's hesitant to join Clubhouse, maybe Clubhouse would actually benefit from your presence there if you can bring something different to it. And you might need to actually create your own room. And I think that's similar to TikTok. One of the cool things about Clubhouse right now is it's not like Facebook. You're not going to see ads. I'm sure eventually there will be ads on there. But right now, it's purely 
a place to go speak. There's no video. You can't even link to your website there. All you can link to is your Twitter or your Instagram. People find ways in their profiles to entice you over to their website and myself included. I've, I've thought about that funnel too, but I think it's really neat. And in, in right now in the current state of Clubhouse, anybody can come on and share their voice. And so I really think after this conversation, it's more important to encourage all different people to come up so that we can even it out again. And it's not just a bunch of white entrepreneurs <laughs> here and listening to themselves. 100%. I think one of the, my favorite things about Clubhouse is that it feels like you have a seat at the table. And that's something that, especially in the business world, like has been really difficult is most of the voices that I'm hearing from the prominent marketers, the prominent educators, when I first started in business, were all white. And I've had to work really hard to diversify my own feeds because I'm literally like, where the fuck are like the BIPOC creators? Like, where are they? Where are the other people that are like me that don't think the same way as everyone else? And that's been really difficult. And just like networking groups on Facebook is the perspectives of one, not to say that all white people are the same, they're not obviously, but like, it is the perspective or experience of one like group of people, white women, lots of coaches, like you said, on Clubhouse, who are confident in what they're saying and what they're doing, how they're speaking. So it's like, great that they have that level of confidence. But it's like, it's just not relatable to me in any way, shape or form. So that's been really frustrating. But apps like TikTok made me feel like I could create my own table. And then Clubhouse, you can create your own table, or you could like sit at the table, which is really cool. Because I think that's like I said, it was the first app where I actually saw like, more black creators. Same with TikTok, where I'm actually getting connected to a much more diverse population of people versus Instagram, where it is all white. It is like the whitest platform ever. And yeah, so I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that these tools now that we have are going to be great for the shift in being able to be more inclusive overall. Cause that's something outside of just like mental health and wellness and being real and cutting through the bullshit is also inclusivity and representation. Cause you know, I have a wildly different perspective. And I don't know if like my me being Asian American has anything to do with like why I feel so anti like what everybody's saying. But you know, my perspective is important. And I, I recognize and know that now, whereas Instagram never made me feel like my opinion or who I was was cool enough to fit in. The one thing that I think, well, since we're talking about race right now, I think this is a really good opportunity to talk about activism and using these platforms for activism, right? Because I think one of the gifts of not only 2020, but certainly continuing into this moment is seeing how many people that I've known wanting to more, not only more deeply educate themselves to the experience of people unlike them, but using the platforms to passionately speak up. And, you know, one thing that I was really ignorant to until a couple of days ago, Allison, was the amount of the amount of violence that is being leveraged towards Asian Americans right now in major cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York. I mean, I've been reading stories that my mind is just blown. And I'm curious, of course, with, with you as a content creator, what your stance is on using these platforms for activism. And since we are facing something like this, the 
horrific violence against Asian Americans, how we can use platforms as activists to start to make a difference and what your experience is for if you have used those platforms in that way. I've been much more vocal recently, just because like, like I, we had briefly touched on it. Like I said, I was like the token minority in my really white town, but I am part white as well. Like a good chunk of my family is like from Oklahoma. And so that was a really unique experience growing up as well, because I was never, I never got the credibility of a white person, even though I'm very integrated into a white experience. You know, I was always seen as like non-American because I'm Asian. And so I think that it's always been something that I've been very passionate about, but I haven't ever been so vocal because like social media was just one of those places where you preserve, you know, some sort of image. But that was before like TikTok came around. I think what's really interesting about what happened, let's say in like June when Black Lives Matter was reignited and the movement kind of got bigger and bigger was a lot of people that were feeling like a business, like they needed to come out and say something, especially more BIPOC business owners, because I was part of like, I was perpetuating a problem by being silent. But that's because of my unique experience as an Asian American who is considered this model minority. I've always been like, cool with white people, but not like cool enough. You know what I mean? So like, I realized how many times I was having conversations about the problems or the lack of representation, we'll say, behind the scenes, always behind the scenes. I was only having conversations with like my black friend over here, my Asian friend over here, because it was the space I felt most comfortable in because we always had the fear of being that person, you know, that would bring up something or, and it's not even like we have to talk about race all the time. Really. It's not, it's just like being included in conversations and like honoring each other's perspectives and experiences. And so many times has that not happened, you know? So I think for our business, it's been really interesting because I think we are committed to showing up as an anti-racist business, but not necessarily just that. I am very committed to creating more space for BIPOC business owners, creators, and educators, and helping to open up that space by being more vocal and active. And I think that showing up online is very important, but I think doing the work behind the scenes is actually more important. And that's where we've seen like, you know, a lot of people that posted the black square, what are you doing outside of that? What are you doing beyond your black square? And I think that's where you can only show up on social media so much based on how you are as a brand. So like, I think it's important to maybe have messages integrated into your copy, maybe like on your website, something that's like, that says what you stand for would be really good. We just did a post on Instagram was like, Hey, just in case you forgot, like, this is what we give a fuck about. And it was a bunch, it was a like slide scroller. That's just like, here's what we give a fuck about. Cause I want people to know, but outside of trying to, not to be performative, I think it's, actually figuring out how you can hire more like black, brown, you know, BIPOC people in your business or invite them to be on your podcast or, you know, have like give them a seat at the table, amplifying others' voices. That's like where I see like the work actually being done is actually like putting our money where our mouth is. And for us, it's very important to one of our lead developers is a black man and well, he considers himself mixed because he also suffers from like colorism because he's like a lighter skinned, like black guy. And 
I think like it's really important for us to just continue to like have open conversations as a team and how we're responding to things. But I also just think that again, I will go back hard into like what are you doing in your actual business practices that are advocating for the things that you care about, especially being an activist. But oh, and also buying from black businesses, that's really important too. (laughs) Oh, and one more thing that I just thought of is I think that again, beyond just showing up on social media, there's also this level of like sacrifice that I think a lot of people don't understand where you might have to put your neck out on the line or be willing to pass the mic to somebody else as well. And that's really important. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's something that I think is we need to do something about once we notice it. And I've certainly been noticing it. I'm I'm so grateful for the movement's development in 2020 because it got me to reflect a lot. And I know I have a lot more work to do, but one of the biggest benefits for me personally was just noticing. And I actually start to feel uncomfortable when I'm in rooms on Clubhouse, for example, and it's mostly white people because I don't want anyone of a different ethnicity to come in and feel like, oh, I'm not welcome here. Or it's just a bunch of of white people, the echo chamber, you know? And I think we do need to make sure that we're amplifying and prioritizing that diversity. And it's beyond ethnicity too. I mean, on this podcast, we're working really hard to include different gender. We're working hard against ageism, which is a major issue on social media, which we didn't even touch upon today. I mean, this conversation just could just go on and on. It's really exciting to just start to scratch the service surface here as we did today with you, Allison, and know that there there is a lot more work to be done. But I think the big message here is that everyone deserves and everyone really does have a seat at the table. It just might not be as apparent to us, you know, and we've touched upon things like ageism and beauty on the podcast, but reflecting on this conversation, I want to do more around that because as Jason said earlier, like it's really... It's really sad to me how many people feel like they can't utilize social media because they're not as confident or because they're not as experienced or because they look a certain way or because they have a certain lifestyle and that fear that that instills. And if we really examine it, like you're saying, so much of social media has been associated with white people. And cisgendered people, straight people, you know, it's like we have perpetuated that through the media. And no wonder people don't feel comfortable because they're not represented. You know, one thing for me as I get older is like I've been reflecting a lot on dyeing my hair as I as as it turns starts to slowly turn gray. Who who knows like what will happen with my hair? But like I've been getting gray hairs, and I every time I do, I'm like, huh? Like here I am as somebody that creates content online, like how am I going to feel when I have noticeable gray hair as, you know, in a, in a platform right now or um, in a industry right now that's really dominated by youth and different, you know, the perceptions of beauty. But I get excited when I see women who aren't wearing makeup and aren't dyeing their hairs and maybe not even brushing their, you know, like, Sometimes I go on TikTok and make videos and my hair is a mess and I'm like, great. And now there's that big thing on TikTok, which Jason might not know about, but there's a lot of conversations happening around like how to tell if you're a millennial, which I am. And it's like how you part your hair. And I think I had commented on one of your videos, Allison, like 
now I go on there and I'm like, oh my gosh, are people going to think I'm this old woman because I part my hair a certain way? And there's like a new thing about skinny jeans. And I'm like, I see this stuff and it's amusing and it's triggering sometimes. And then I'm like, fuck it all. Like, I just want to wear whatever clothes I want to wear, do my hair. However, like, I don't want to have to constantly be thinking about all this superficial bullshit. And I hope that that's the big takeaway for the listener from this conversation. It's like, it's not easy to fight against all of this. Like, we're not saying, oh, just show up and be who you are. It's easy. You know, like, it's not easy at all. But we need more people to step up and, and, and really show themselves. And I think that that's what's neat about TikTok and Clubhouse is that while they might still have a lot of people on there that we can perceive as perfect and really successful, and we certainly can fall into the comparison trap and the not enoughness, unlike other platforms previous to them like Instagram – There is a lot more room. There are a lot more seats at the table. There's a lot more acceptance. There are a lot more people stepping up and just showing up as their genuine selves, however they are. And that's really, really exciting. So I'm really grateful that that led me to you, Allison, and that led to this conversation. And and I hope I'm like, I want to be in every clubhouse room you do, just like I consume all your content on TikTok because... You represent to me, how do I put it? I was going to say freedom. You know, (laughs) like you represent to me just like the reminder that it's okay to be ourselves and that we don't have to change and that we can be accepted and loved for who we are. And I just am so drawn to people like you. And I hope that for you, Jason, it's a reminder. And for the listener, it's a reminder that even though we might feel in the minority, if we're not constantly constructing our ourselves and competing for attention and you know having tons of followers all these other measurements of of success and status that we have in our lives i think that there are a lot of people that prefer the opposite and just want to see someone for being a human being so thank you for that allison and jason i'll i'll turn it over to you to see if you have any closing thoughts i just feel like <laughs> We need to create a clubhouse room called like, I I don't know what we would call it, like bring the realness. I don't know, real and raw. I don't know. Anyway, I just feel like there's some sort of clubhouse room that can be an extension of this conversation genuinely, because I'm certain that there are a lot of people that want to dig deeper into everything we talked about today. And it would be interesting as an experiment to create a clubhouse room to see who shows up and how raw we can get with these conversations. So that's kind of what I'm left with. And and I'm also left with a lot of gratitude for you, Allison, and just being exactly as you are. It's obviously our first time talking, getting to know each other in real time, but your openness, your heart, your realness are all things that I deeply appreciate. And it's just so wonderful to connect with you. And I hope at some point this year, we get to actually do a hang in, in person and really get to like go even a level deeper. So we just um, we wanted to, to guide you, dear listener, to our website where you can find Allison's TikTok channel, any of the links we mentioned today, any of the resources. You can go to our website, which is wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We will have all the links so you can stalk Allison and be a fanboy or a fangirl as we are now. Uh, be kind to her. Be respectful. Don't send her anything weird in the mail. Okay, only send chocolates. Actually, I don't even know if you like chocolates, Allison, but most people do. So I'm assuming. Anyway, dear listener, thank you for getting raw with us. Thanks for getting she uncomfortable. She likes tea. 
Yeah, you could send Allison tea. Send her tea. Okay, so anyway, if Allison wants to share her P.O. box, we'll also include that in the show notes if you want to send her gifts. Allison, you're amazing. We adore you. And thank you so much for everything you shared today. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for your kind words. I equally appreciate you. I I seriously feel so refreshing to be able to connect with like-minded people, people I feel aligned with, especially in this topic that I think is so important and something that is I'm very, very deeply passionate about. So I'm just grateful we connected on TikTok, Whitney. And I look forward to hanging out in person and continuing this conversation on Clubhouse for sure. But also like, I just want to hang out with you guys, even on if, even if it's on Zoom. <laughs> so I just really appreciate you because I think it can be isolating, you know, when you decide to just be whoever the fuck you want to be. And it's been a really big journey. So to have kind of that validation that I'm not alone is really, really, that means a lot. That means a lot to me. So I really appreciate you guys. And I'm just grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.